Bring me shelter, I will not harm you. Bring me shelter, please. Bring me shelter, I will not harm you. I would shelter you. People would do anything for their families. It could happen to anyone anytime. Somebody in France, somebody in England basically sat down with a ruler and just drew lines on maps. There are many different ethnic and religious groups that have been divided across borders and this has caused a significant amount of conflict. There are a lot of people who need safety. It is really cruel for a country like Australia to have policies that are focused only on pushing people away. What we're seeing is a number of people that remain in a state of limbo. And when non-sustainable land use combines with climate change, the crisis of refugees... I wasn't able to go and play with children. I had to go and really be an adult from a very young age. I think that's something that a lot of migrant children can relate to. Really, it was a dream for me to reunite with my family. I was just praying and hoping that that day will come one day. I think it's very important for people to understand that people have their own dreams as well and they're wanting to change the world with everybody else. Refugee Radio, 855 AM, 3CR. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land who we are broadcasting from, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and respect the elders past, present and emerging and their ongoing struggle. Welcome to Refugee Radio this week on 3CR, listening on 855 AM or on 3cr.org.au. Firstly, I want to thank all the people who donated to Refugee Radio and specifically just to 3CR in general. It's never too late to donate and you can find out more on 3cr.org.au. We're more than halfway there but we always need some extra support if you've got some extra cash. So this week on Refugee Radio, we're going to be listening to an interview done on the Doing Time show, which is on Mondays, 4 to 5 p.m. The interview is around the refugee family separation policy and a report that was done around the policies. So have a listen. And you're back with the Doing Time show, and we're going to be speaking about a very, very important topic here. The Australian government has engaged in a strategic, deliberate and coercive campaign to separate refugees from their families and prevent them from reuniting in Australia. And the Human Rights Law Centre has written a new report, and we're going to be speaking with senior lawyer from the Human Rights Law Centre, Josephine Langbean, about this report. And it's basically a landmark multidisciplinary report that exposes the Australian government's deliberate use of family separation to punish and deter refugees seeking safety in Australia. Hello, Josephine. Welcome to the program. Good afternoon, Rissa. Thanks for having me. It's lovely to have you and thank you for your patience. Now, I'm wondering if you could just talk about... um, You're a senior lawyer, obviously, at the Human Rights Law Centre, but could you talk about the report and how um, the centre made that decision to actually write it and a bit about the background. Absolutely. Um, now, I think you summed up the report really well. Um, it, it is uh, intended to uh, really expose the way the Australian government is intentionally keeping refugees away from their families. 
Um, I think during the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, we all experienced how hard it can be to be separated from our loved ones. Uh, And that separation is really painful. But for thousands of people in Australia who are refugees, that's been their reality uh, for years. And so the intention of this report is really to tell the stories of the families who have been living with this reality, um, people who have been uh, living in the Australian in the Australian community for years but have no prospect of reuniting with their loved ones. Uh, and so the report um, really draws on um, those stories of the families themselves but also expert medical and legal analysis uh, to show that that kind of this kind of separation, um, the, the kind of policies that the Australian government um, is implementing, are not only wrong, but they are really harmful to the health and mental health of the people who are uh, experiencing them, and they're also illegal under international law. Indeed, it is illegal, and it's still happening. Why is that? Mm, that is an excellent question. Um, you know, this, these policies have been going on for uh, a really long time, but I think part of the issue is that um, many Australians are simply unaware that this is happening. You know, when uh, Donald Trump was, was tearing children from their families at the US-Mexico border, there was international outcry. But the Australian government has managed to get away with uh, perpetrating this kind of um, harm on a systematic scale for years. Um you know, these, these policies are in contravention of a number of international human rights treaties, and those are agreements that the Australian government has uh, voluntarily signed up to and agreed to be part of and to, to protect and defend those human rights standards, but is now acting in contravention of those um, of those human rights treaties. So the report is called Together in Safety, and I've been reading the report is very disturbing and there's a lot of really tragic stories. Mm. Could you just talk about some of those? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, the families that um, that we worked with uh, to prepare this report uh, were incredibly um, courageous and generous in sharing their stories with us. But we're, we're talking about, um, you know, mothers who uh, are having to explain to their young child why um, why her father and her siblings uh, can't be with them in Australia because they're still stuck in a refugee camp overseas. And uh, we, we also heard from a man who had to endure uh, years of detention on Manus Island while the rest of his family managed to um, resettle in Australia and, and rebuild their lives, but he couldn't be there with them simply because he arrived in Australia on a different date to him, uh, to the rest of his family, so a different policy applied to him. And, um, you know, we heard a really tragic story about a father who is is just so desperate to bring his children to safety in Australia now after their mother really devastatingly passed away while she was waiting for a visa to Australia. But um, all of these people are separated by different um, laws and policies uh, that are designed to keep people away from their families. But the the end result um, for all of these families uh, is the same. You know, people are left with this really unthinkable choice between uh, their safety or, or being with the people they love. 
So the report finds that the Australian government has used three main methods to keep families apart. Can you talk about those? Um, yes. Yeah, so the, there's, there's a range of laws and policies that are used to, um, to to shut refugees out of family reunion pathways. Um, the, the first is is people who are on temporary protection visas are completely ineligible to even apply to bring their family members to Australia. Um, and then secondly, people who are eligible to apply, so people who have um, yeah. permanent protection visas, um, if they arrive by boat in Australia, they they are constantly sent to the back of the visa processing queue. So in effect, their family visa applications are just never considered because new applications are lodged all the time. So there's the complete barring of, of any form of application for some people. There's the constant deprioritisation of applications for other people. And then in our offshore detention centres too, we've seen people who've been separated from family members who were already settled in Australia, or we've seen people who are forced to leave loved ones behind in Nauru or Papua New Guinea during ur- urgent medical evacuations to Australia. It's it's absolutely appalling to to hear that, given that prior to the Liberal government coming coming in, although Labor might have had something to do with this too, it probably happens on both sides of politics, that there was a, a boat policy um, that was created, wasn't it? Because th- this didn't happen during the Howard, Howard regime, did it? Where... Um, people coming on boats were, were discriminated against like this. That shouldn't be allowed. You, you're right. A lot of this, um, a lot of these policies are really rooted in the in the really toxic rhetoric that has developed around um, people who travel by boat, sort of over the last decade, really. Um, and so that's essentially why these policies exist. They're targeted um, at to punish people for how and when they arrived in Australia and to try and deter other people from seeking protection here. And, you know, that's, um, that deterrence aim is, is how the government justifies these policies, regardless of the fact that we're talking about people who have been part of our community for years and years, who arrived before these policies were even introduced. Um, and I mean, in our view, it's just it's never justifiable to use the the love that a family um, that family members have for each other um, as, as a form of punishment. Yeah, and of particular concern, and I'm just having a look at the media release here, is that it's separation by endless deprioritisation, as you said, of certain family reunion applications, and that effectively denies permanent residents who arrive by boat the prospect of ever being approved to reunite with their family in Australia. Is that right? Mm, That's right. So there's a particular government policy. It's called um, Ministerial Direction 80, um, which is a rule that the government um, has made for um, the Department of Home Affairs when they're processing visa applications. And it says um, you have to decide visa applications in a certain order of priority. And if you are a person who arrived by boat and you want to bring your family members here, you are forever at the back of that visa processing queue. Uh, And so 
because every year there are more people applying to bring uh, their family members to Australia than there are uh, visas available, it means that those applications are just never processed. So we're working with people who have been waiting seven years and counting for their partner or child visas to be approved. And, and that's from the time that that, that that policy was introduced. And there's just no end in sight for these people. There are um, There is an exception to this policy. Um, if people can make out uh, what are described as uh, compelling and compassionate circumstances. Uh, there, there is supposedly um, an exemption to, to, to being put at the back of the queue, but that test is so broad and vague and the kind of circumstances that people are required to demonstrate um, to be awarded that exemption are, for many people, have just been impossible to achieve. And so people are just waiting uh, indefinitely. So in Together in Safety, five refugee families who have been deliberately kept apart um, tell their story. So I'm wondering, could you, would you mind, Josephine, giving us the link for the report? For the report? Yes, absolutely. Um, so people can, can head to um, the Human Rights Law Centre's uh, website at hlc.org.au and the report is there on the homepage. Um, you can download that report and read the, the stories um, that these families have told in their own words. And um, as you mentioned, these are, these are five families who have experienced years of separation um, for, for different, uh, through different uh, methods, uh, some because of offshore detention, some because of um, temporary protection visas, uh, some because they are endlessly deprioritised um, under Ministerial Direction 80. Uh, and those families uh, describe the, the impact that that's had on their lives and the things that they have missed out on, you know, those, those everyday um, moments that make being with your family so important, you know, watching your kids grow up, seeing their, their first steps and hearing their first words or or being a, a parent trying to trying to raise teenagers and guide them through life. So these are the sorts of things that um, that these families are missing out on. And it's interesting. I, I really liked the way you you made the analogy with the COVID nineteen last year, um, and how people were separated from their loved ones during COVID nine. You know the lockdown. Mm. Except that this is actually not lockdown. This is far worse. Isn't it? Well, it, exactly, and you know, it's it's. I think it's hard for everyone to to not be able to to be with their loved ones and people. You know, we've all missed out on some really important things. You know, special um, family occasions or, or looking after loved ones who are sick. You know, these are all awful things to have to miss. But for people who are impacted by these policies, the pandemic was really just another hurdle in what has already been years of, of just not knowing when they'll be able to share another birthday or, um, or you know, even unfortunately sometimes um, being able to grieve the, the loss of a, of a family member with their other loved ones. And thank you for that. And a lot of the uh, – also listeners also need to understand, and correct me if I'm wrong here, that – the Together in Safety report details the views of internationally renowned barristers, don't, doesn't it, and medical professionals. Can you talk about that? 
Yes, absolutely. So um, the report includes some expert analysis from doctors who have worked with uh, children and families, um, people who are refugees and people who have been separated from their loved ones by the government policies. And these doctors describe the kinds of um, impacts that that can have on both children and adults in terms of their mental health and their long-term well-being and, in the case of kids, their their development. Uh, and those doctors found that, that this sort of harm has, uh, has a really uh, a lifelong impact on people. And the barristers that we spoke to analysed these policies and that kind of harm against international human rights standards and found that the Australian government's policies are in breach of things like the right to um, the right to have a family and the right to family life, the rights of the child. Um, but also because of that harm to some families is so serious and long-lasting, it can in some circumstances reach the threshold of the sort of pain and suffering that we talk about when we talk about torture and the fact that these policies are uh, being implemented for uh, punitive um, reasons and because they're being carried out by the government. Those elements combined mean that in some cases the Australian government may be in um, breach of the Convention Against Torture. It's definitely illegal under international law and unfortunately, you know, this separation of refugee families is, is intentional. That's right. And, and the government is, is completely upfront about that. Um, they've acknowledged several times that, that these policies are designed to disincentivise um, people coming to Australia to seek protection by boat, so they are these are targeted, uh, intentional policies um, that that are designed to punish people and are and are also definitely experienced as punitive by the people who are subject to them. Josephine, I was particularly moved um, by an incident that was talked about in the report, and and I believe I also recorded uh, a rally about this when he first passed away. And that was Farsal, Imac, uh, I think. Yes. Mm-hmm. The, what a dreadful thing. A Sardinia's refugee dies from head injuries he suffered during a seizure despite asking for medical help for his chest pains mm-hmm. and frequent seizures more than 20 times in the previous six months. Mm-hmm. And I suppose what I wanted to ask you is how could that happen and it's so important to actually document some of the medical atrocities and violation of human rights that have happened in not only at Manus Island and Nauru, but in detention centres across Australia. Absolutely. Um, and I think we've seen a really devastating amount of evidence uh, coming out from um, our offshore detention centres in recent years that really exposed the medical crisis um, that that was and is occurring there. Now, um, you spoke about uh, an incident that is referred to in in the foreword to our report, um, which Beirut Buchani um, contributed to the report, and he describes his friend, um, Faisal, who 
passed away in the circumstances that you described and, and he left behind a letter um, addressed to a friend who was also on Manus Island and in that letter Faisal asked his friend to do everything in his power to help um, rescue his children from uh, the refugee camps at Sudan's border um, if he were to pass away. Uh, and so, you know, the people who suffered through um, Australia's offshore um, processing regime, you know, that that is um, torturous enough in itself. And then for people who have the added um, distress of knowing that their family members remain behind in incredibly dangerous situations and they're powerless to to help them and look after them, including their own children. Um, you know, that is just, um, it, it, it's hard to fathom. It's systemic racism and systemic abuse. And what this really highlights here, correct me if I'm wrong, is that this system deprives ill refugees of access to basic medical care in order to pressure them into returning to where they fled from. And I quote directly from the report, Together in Safety. Yes. So one of the one of the practices that we um, did see uh, the Australian government implementing was, um, uh, you know, when when people were on uh, Nauru or Manus Island, and the conditions of their detention had led to a deterioration in their health to the point that they needed urgent evacuation to Australia because. Um, there simply weren't the facilities to provide the care that they needed in those places. Um, people were prevented from bringing their um, their family members with them. So a number of women who um, fell pregnant on Nauru and needed to be uh, transferred to Australia to give birth were actually not allowed to bring their partners with them. And so those women then uh, came to Australia and had to give birth alone and spent years raising their children um, without any family support uh, in, in a new place. And, and you know, then the, the fathers of these children uh, didn't manage to meet their babies for years. And part of the reason for this, um, and the government acknowledged this at the time, was that um, they thought that if that if the whole um, family unit was not in Australia, then people would be um, more inclined to return to um, offshore detention locations um, after the birth. And so in that way, we see family separation being used as a way to pressure and coerce people into, um, into to doing what the government wants them to do. And, of course, we can't forget the Tamil family in all this Absolutely. Uh, I think um, the family from Biloela who are uh, held on Christmas Island are such a um, such a clear example of the kind of um, unnecessary cruelty that the government is capable of uh, in the name of these um, these policies of deterrence. Um, but I think what the what the Biloela family also shows us is that when the Australian government is uh, sorry, when the Australian public rather is aware of what's going on and they can see a face and a name and the impact on a family, people people don't support it. People don't understand why it's happening. 
they don't agree with these kinds of um, extreme um, punishments. And I think that's um, what we're really hoping the Together in Safety report can do is to um, is to show the Australian public uh, the families who are impacted by these these policies of of separation um, to, to to put a human face on those those stories and help people. Um, understand that, that this sort of cruelty is completely unnecessary and completely unacceptable. And so, of course, we need to uphold our democratic right to protest in the streets and also people who don't wish to protest um, need to write letters to their, their politicians. Absolutely. And, you know, we would um, we'd really encourage people to to read the Together in Safety report and to listen to the first-hand testimony from the families who are impacted. And um, as I said, you can head to the Human Rights Law Centre website to um, to read about other ways that you can take action as well. Josephine, thank you so much for coming onto the program. You've given a really detailed analysis of the report and it's, it's a very, very useful tool that the Human Rights Law Centre has um, implemented. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Take care. Hi, this is Rafiv Ziada, and you're listening to 3CR, pro-Palestinian, happily proud radio. So you're listening to Refugee Radio on 3CR, and we were just listening to an interview by the Do and Time show every Monday from 4 to 5 p.m., and that was around the Refugee Family Separation Policy Report. So some really useful information there for people, and hopefully... uh, Uh, things will improve, but also good just to be aware of what's come out of that too. So we're going to finish the show off today with a song by the Siri Leone All-Stars with the song Like a Refugee. And again, you can definitely still donate to the station. So just check out on 3cr.org.au. Thanks for listening. Let's start. Living like a refugee, it's not easy. You see, I just took all the problems, the suffering of the people, and then make a song of it. You left your country, it's a seek refuge in another man's land. You left your country, it's a seek refuge in another man's land. You will be confronted by strange dialects. You will be fed with unusual diets. You got to sleep in a tarpaulin house, which is so hot. You got to sleep on a tarpaulin mat, which is so cold. Oh, we on time. Living like a refugee. And now it's not easy. It's really not easy. Living like a refugee. Not oh, we on time. Living like a refugee. Oh, nah, it's not easy. It's really not easy. Living like a refugee is not easy. I want to hear my solos. Franco, nah, you don't get your supply. Computer, don't forget me anymore. Lord of mercy, computer again. 
Araim. Sir. You don't get interpolin. Production not consider me. Get a master. Nature. Nine. You don't get your medicine. I said to see, say. I said to see, say again. Get it to camera. Get it to camera again. Hey, get it to camera, no day. Bolong pasai bonam. Mohamed Bangura. Mohamed Bangura again. Forest, see, say. Forest, see, say again. Francis Boma. Francis Boma again. You know the artist who go pass a mo. Let me ask. country to seek refuge in another man's land. You left your country to seek refuge in another man's land. You will be confronted by strange dialects. You will be fed with unusual diets. You've got to sleep in a tarpaulin house, which is so hot. You've got to sleep on a tarpaulin mat, which is so cold. Oh, we on time. Living like a refugee. Oh, nah. It's not easy. It's really not easy. Living like a refugee. It's not easy. Oh, we on time. Living like a refugee. Oh, nah. It's not easy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Living like a refugee. It's not easy. It's really not easy. G'day, my name is Margie Thorpe. You are listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 on your dial. 